This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Impact of Influence, the Murdoch family murders. This is the unfolding story of a powerful South Carolina family, the mysterious deaths they are linked to, and our quest to bring you the truth. Hello, friend. Always so grateful that you're spending time with us. We've got a pretty darn interesting interview coming up, uh, dealing with the whole family annihilator theory that was mentioned during the Alec Murdoch trial. We'll get to the woman who studied that whole situation in just a few minutes. Uh, we wanted you to go to Impact of Influence on Facebook. Oh, I never even mentioned. I'm Matt Harris, Seton Tucker, right across from me. And uh, Seton, we've got some updates to hit today. Yep. Let's hit Corey Fleming first. He has now been transferred to the federal prison in Atlanta, Georgia, which is built in 1902. And it has not held any high security inmates in the last 30 years. And actually since 2021, it now only holds low security inmates and also work camp inmates. In 2022, there was an investigation into some problems at this facility, which included multiple escapes, lawsuits resulting in payouts to prisoners who had been sexually abused by guards or with restraints. And actually just a kind of an interesting fact is if anyone watched this Tiger King reality show. Everybody did. Yeah. (laughs) During COVID, that was a big thing. Um, Exotic Joe spent some time in this facility. And he said, after landing there, I have officially landed in the bottom of hell. Wow. And another thing that we should note is it does not appear as if this facility has the RDAP program, which is the drug and alcohol rehab program, which the federal government offers. But now that Corey Fleming has this longer sentence, he's probably going to want to maximize the time he spends in federal prison. So he's not going to try to get out early because then he's going to have to go to spend more time in state prison. Right. And the RDAP is, can help you get out early. Right. right. Yeah. After you've spent some time, you can... Move to a halfway house, and it reduces your sentence. Good work uh, finding that out, Seton. And we also have an update on the Stephen Smith case. Yes, so Will Folks with Fitz News reports that the statewide grand jury is investigating this truck mirror theory. Which is what originally what had happened on the ruling was that Stephen Smith was a hit and run, and it was a truck mirror. Right. And although Buster Murdoch was mentioned multiple times in investigative reports, it does not appear as if he had anything to do with the death of Stephen Smith. Um, But there are, according to Will, two primary suspects, uh, Patrick Wilson and Sean Connolly. Now, just to refresh our listeners, Stephen Smith was found dead in the middle of Sandy Run Road in Hampton County in 2015. I want to point out that that's very close to a Moselle property. As, as a crow flies, it's like a mile. Uh, and the pathologist with MUSC, Aaron Presnell, ruled it to be a hit and run. And there were a lot of doubts about this theory because 
There was not road debris or skid marks. Um, So in April of this past year, Stephen Smith's body was exhumed for a second autopsy. And according to Fitz News, the second autopsy confirmed many of the same things that were in the initial autopsy. In the initial autopsy, the theory was he was struck by a fast-moving object at the front right side of his head at an angle, quote, a devastating blow, which caused an almost instantaneous subsequent impact to the back of his head on the roadway. Now, either impact would have been fatal together in the span of less than a second were catastrophic. And there was also a lot of speculation about whether Stephen Smith's body had been moved. And according to Fitz, they're saying that this accident happened where his body was found. And this is based on the road rash and the visible blood flowing in one direction. So let's go back to this mirror theory. The report of Officer Duncan, who interviewed then Hampton Police Chief Nick Gunn. Now, according to Gunn, this guy named Daryl Williams contacted him based on the advice of Randy Murdoch, which is Alex's brother. And tell me about Daryl Williams. Daryl Williams was dating the mother of Patrick Wilson at the time of Stephen's death. William tells Chief Gunn that Patrick Wilson, who was 18 at the time, uh, was riding with Sean Connolly, who was 17 at the time, who was drunk, and he hit something. They went back the next day to see what they hit, and they saw a lot of police. And they later learned that someone had been killed. When Patrick tells the story to Daryl Williams, he's crying, he's upset, and then he goes outside of the house and he throws up. And Daryl Williams takes this to mean that Patrick Wilson was telling the truth. Williams also added that when he told Gunn about this, that Connolly had, quote, patched up one of the mirrors, which Fitz News, good job, has independently verified. I want to talk about some of these connections. And again, when you talk about connections, especially in a small town like this, it doesn't we're not saying there's anything nefarious or strange or evil about it. It's just the fact that people are, are very intertwined. And, and some of these connections, for instance, uh, what do you have, Seton? Well, we have talked about this in the past. Randy Murdoch was representing Stephen Smith's dad, Joel, at the time of Stephen's death in a workers' comp lawsuit. And then, interestingly enough, shortly after Stephen's death, Randy represented Sean Conley in a civil suit in a motor vehicle accident. Um, and another connection is Corey Fleming, Alex Budd, repped another one of the primary suspects, Patrick Wilson, who was facing some assault and battery charges. Well, and, and also I point out because people were wondering why Randy Murdoch had called, allegedly called the Smith House after Stephen's death to represent them. And we pointed this out before, we did from the beginning, but you may have missed this. There was a connection there already because he was representing Stephen's father. So it wasn't like he just willy-nilly, like a lot of people tried to put this on like, well, he must have known Buster was involved if he, that's why he called. But that, there was a connection with the Smith family. Well, and Randy recommended Daryl Williams go speak to law enforcement right. about what he knew about Stephen's death. Exactly. Okay, so uh, there's other connections, I believe. Right. So in this expose that Fitz News does, they talk about how Patrick Wilson, one of the primary suspects in Stephen Smith's death, 
uh, was staying at a property owned by Rogan Gibson, which was near Moselle. And refresh our memory, who was Rogan Gibson? He was Paul's friend who had the injured dog staying at Moselle at the time of the murders. And that's that video which caught Alex in the lie, saying he not been at the kennels before leaving to check on his mom and nowhere near the kennels for the murders. But that put him right there at the kennels because Paul was filming uh, the dog. You could hear Maggie and Alec in the background. I mean, it's a small town. We don't know yeah. if this means anything, but it just, these connections, it's interesting. Well, I mean, it's, uh, Moselle and that area, you've all driven around down there. There's not a lot going on. Well, even in the state of South Carolina, it was interesting. I was having my teeth cleaned a few months ago, and my hygienist had gone to hygiene school with Mallory Beach's sister, and yeah. she was best friends with Buster's girlfriend growing up. It just, it, it's a small state. There are yep. a lot of connections. And then, in fact, let's talk about some law enforcement connections. And this is suspect. The police chief, Nick Gunn, the guy who interviewed Daryl Williams about the information of the, the two guys that are involved in this, he reported that information up the chain to Mitch Altman with South Carolina Highway Patrol. Mitch Altman is related to the prime suspect, Patrick Wilson's mom, Sharon Altman Wilson. Follow the bouncing ball there? So Nick Gunn, and it was Darrell Williams, tells the person, I guess, above him, which would be this Mitch Altman, the South Carolina Highway Patrol, and he's connected to Patrick Wilson, who is involved, possibly allegedly involved in the accident. There are a lot of connections. There are your updates for now. Uh, let's move to our guest. We are uh, so happy that she is joining us. Mary Claire Malloy, who was the journalist uh, writer behind an article that really caught her attention uh, because it has to deal with family annihilators. And uh, she's a recent graduate, graduate of uh, Indiana University, finished up her internship. It's amazing to me that she wrote this incredible article and did this incredible study and was doing an internship. That's insane, Mary Claire. That's insane. Yeah, it's a, it was a three-year process, actually. I started it when I was 19 as a sophomore in college, and then uh, it kind of continued throughout college and then even after I graduated. Um, I want to ask you why this started, why this project about the family annihilator started. So I was in my college town, and a man killed his wife and two children there. Uh, and I wondered why did he do that? And who were these people? And that was back in 2020. Uh, it was the Mumber family. And I didn't really see a ton of reporting on what happened and, and who the family was. And so I was kind of determined for one of my classes to do a project about it. And then from there, I spent years talking to the loved ones um, of the victims who had so much grief and trauma to face in the you know aftermath of like a heinous act like this. And then I was wondering, you know, how often does this does this happen? Is this a pattern? And so I started tracking cases around the country. Um, and, and we, my database ends up showing that every five days in America, someone kills their family. Wow. Let's let's start off with what is your definition of a family annihilator? It's actually a bit narrower um, because I was building this database from the ground up. There's really not a ton of data available uh, with a crime like this that involves like 
murder and sometimes suicide and children. Like those are all like different um, categories that are tracked. So I kind of had to build from the ground up and there's not really a universally accepted definition, but I defined it as someone who kills two types of direct family members. So your spouse and your children or your siblings and parents, like two types of family members. So there were a lot of cases that I wish I could have counted, but I didn't end up counting that involved like grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins and, um, or just somebody just killing their parents. And and those didn't even make it into this, um, this database. So I imagine the, the numbers would swell even bigger if it was a more wider definition. I think it was like 227 family annihilations mm-hmm. across the U.S. from 2020 to around 2023 when you were doing it with the Indianapolis Star. Um, and of course, the topic came up when we've been doing the Alec Murdoch story on, on this podcast since just a couple of weeks after the murders. And, and the term family annihilator had come up. And what I was surprised when I read this and some other research when it first happened was the, the term was kind of out there, but I assumed it was an official thing. Like it was, it was mentioned in the trial by Creighton Waters. Mm-hmm. There was not really an, an official psychological study on this or definition. So there, there have been some studies. I think the first one that was really comprehensive about family annihilators was in the nineties, but there's really not been a ton of research in this area. Um, and that means that we didn't always have like a complete profile and, and sometimes we did have a profile, but it was like, how often does this happen and, and what can we do to prevent this? So there's like a lot of work to be done in that field. And that's what a lot of experts I talked to said is like, um, this doesn't get as much attention as you'd think. Uh, but yeah, I was trying to kind of fill that information gap and, you know, have a data set to show people and give them like the vocabulary to discuss what what this type of perpetrator is and what this kind of crime is. What is the difference between a family annihilator and a murder-suicide? Well, I think a murder-suicide can be a family annihilator. And I don't have, you know, other people might have definitions, but murder-suicide is a family annihilation when, in my book, when you're killing your direct family members in that case, like two types of direct family members. Let's talk about one of our sponsors. It is Factor. You can eat stress-free this spring with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh meal is never frozen and it is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, and they are ready in just two minutes. What did you have chili the other day? Delicious. And if you want gourmet meals, you can try meals that feature Premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, asparagus. So head to factormeals.com slash impact50 and use code impact50, 5 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That code's impact50 at factormeals.com slash impact50 to get 50% off your first box and 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Impact 50 at factormeals.com slash impact 50 to get 50% off your first box and 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a 
happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. I know you're familiar with the Alec Murdoch case. So were there any cases that you came upon that were had some similarities? And and by that I mean, yes, a lot of the cases you write about had domestic abuse as part of their story or narrative. That doesn't seem to be the case at all in the Alec Murdoch case. So what about Alec Murdoch resonated with some of the other cases? I don't know if I can draw like complete comparisons because every case is unique. Um, but when I was looking at perpetrators, certain factors came up repeatedly, uh, like prior domestic violence, criminal history, alcohol and drug abuse. Um, and then just like a, what a, one expert said to me is like the sense of narcissism uh, that, you know, you, if you're going down, your family's going down. I can't speak to the specifics of how right. every person was or how the Murdoch um, case was, but uh, the common factors are it's majority men, male perpetrators and with guns. And then there's often something, something else going on in their lives that contributes to this. One of the things you mentioned is that some of these guys feel like a failure. That's, that's, a com- yeah. that's one, of the, one of the characteristics. Yeah. Uh, I spoke with an expert, um, David Adams. He interviewed um, men who'd murdered their intimate partners and kind of collected research on their profiles. And a lot of what he said is like, these men do not have a lot going for them in their lives or they feel like a failure because they lost a job or their wife's going to divorce them. And that, that is like, you know, the sense of masculinity is entangled in all of this. So in Alex's case, and you know, where he was convicted, so we have substance abuse. We have the possibility he was going to be seen as a failure because if it all came out. We have guns. We have accessibility to guns, right, Seton? One idea, I, I'm trying to remember who, one of the experts you talked to said that these guys in their whacked out mind, some of these family annihilators, believe they were almost helping their family so their family didn't see what was about to come out. That did come out, um, you know, like a, in a warped way, like a sense of protecting them from from the failure or from what's going on in their lives, potentially. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was interesting that I guess three-fourths of these family annihilators were either in the South or the Midwest. Wow, that is weird. Yeah. yeah. Do you have any reason why you think that may be? Uh, that's what the data showed. And I talked to uh, Jacqueline Campbell. She's a domestic violence expert. And she said that the presence of a gun in the home can increase, you know, the likelihood of, of violence. So mm-hmm. if you look at those areas, they might have higher rates of gun ownership. Um, but, you know, I can't, again, I can't speak to every factor, but that is kind of what she suggested was potentially why these cases were concentrated in those areas of the country. I saw in your study that I guess 65% of the people committing these crimes kill themselves, um, but not everyone does. Did you talk to anybody about the survivors of these incidents? Like surviving people who were shot and, but didn't die or people. Oh, who any, were okay. Yeah. Behind. Any of those, any of those cases, the person who, who committed the murders or somebody who survived, like the only surviving family member. 
I did not, but there were a few cases where there were surviving family members. Um, and I tried to note the impact on survivors. I think if people are injured it, and, and then they lose their family and then there's like children who can be orphaned from this, like I tried to really show the the complete impact because it's even if you don't die, like your, your life is so changed in, in a horrible way because of these incidents. I did not talk to any perpetrators. Um, I, if they were arrested, I looked to into their case to see if they had um, pled guilty, if they were going to trial, if they'd been convicted, if um, there were only a few that had been found like mentally unfit to stand trial. Uh, and of every case that I've tracked that has gone to trial or someone's pled, it's everyone's pled guilty and or been convicted. But there are still cases going through in my database where people are still having their day in court. So it says allegedly, you know, in the sentence about what they allegedly did. I want to talk a little bit about the domestic violence part of this, which is not nothing to do with Alec Murdoch, perhaps, but you talk a bit about this. And I think by the way it was, was written, I've heard of some other interviews with you. This was one thing that really stuck out to you that somehow the system failed. Yeah. I mean, there were cases where women sought protective orders and they were denied or they sought a protective order, but it didn't make a difference. Or um, one case, there was a woman who begged her apartment complex to change the locks. She was from New Jersey and and they didn't. And her partner got in and killed her and her child. So, and there were cases where the police were called and they didn't file a report or they walked away and said like, we don't think anything bad's going to happen. And you can hear that on the body cam footage. So there are times when people were seeking help and then the system didn't, didn't help them. Mm. And that's documented. Before you did this, did you have any idea the amount of times that someone killed their own child? No, I, I was, I thought that this random case in Bloomington was unique, you know, that this only happened 10 times a year, maybe I couldn't, I couldn't fathom that it would happen this often. Um, and so I would just, as the cases piled up, I was like, this is a pattern and I, I want to know why, and I want to know what's causing this. And I think people should be aware. Can you tell us about that case? I know that's the case that kind of stoked the fire and you to find out more. Can you, why don't you tell us about that case? Yeah. Yeah. So Jeffrey Mumper, um, had cancer and he, this was during the pandemic, his daughter, she was just about to get her PhD and was studying adolescent anxiety. She was home from school and his son, who was 18, his name was Jacob. They, um, he was about to go to college and his wife, Greta, was um, family members, family and friends say she wanted to divorce him, but he got cancer and she stayed as he was fighting cancer. And then one night he was awoke and had a gun and he shot them all while they were asleep and then killed himself. Jeez. That's just so disturbing. And it seems like this is much more common in the United States than it is in other countries. Yeah. There was a a study from the NIJ national Institute of justice that showed that it happened more often in America. Um, and that was, um, been like other like developed countries like Canada and the U S. Um, that's a straight. That's a straight line to the uh, accessibility. Yeah, the of gun, guns, right? The gun. I mean, that's situation seems to be the easy line to draw. Um, more guns, more possibility of these kind of things happening. One question I have is: in your research, you know, you mentioned people who have this history of domestic violence. 
Were there other cases that you encountered where people seemed apparently happy? Uh, There were cases where domestic violence, you know, there wasn't a prior criminal record and and the perpetrator kind of slipped through the cracks of, you know, everyone in the community was surprised. But you can never really know what's going on in people's lives um, unless you're like in that immediate family. And I think something I said in the story was like those victims are silenced forever. They don't get to say like if they were happy, they don't get to say like what. Oh was the buildup to this. So the whole family's gone. Like nobody, the victims can't testify from beyond the grave about what happened. And that's what leaves people who loved this fam- like the family. They're like, so traumatized by not just the grief, but the questions of like, what were the signs? Why didn't I see them? Were they really like, what was really going on? So that is kind of a thing that's really heavy for people because it's such an unknown, like, what was yeah. going on for real in the family. The article, American Annihilation, U.S. Families Face a Unique Danger, Murder from Within. Mary Claire Malloy wrote it for the Indianapolis Star. Um, we look forward to many more articles from you in the future, Mary Claire. And thank you so much for spending time with us. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Thanks, Mary Claire. All right. Uh, we want to go back to some listener emails. I want to say hi to Kristen uh, quickly. We uh, talked about her email, and uh, she thought she was misrepresented. And I just want to say, Kristen, I and I say to everybody, I love it when you send questions, comments, even if we aren't in 100% agreement, or maybe you think we were too overboard on something. Kristen, I, I'm not the least uh, bit bothered by your email at all, and I, and I welcome it. I think it's great that you've been listening the entire time. It's wonderful. We're friends. Uh, but a lot of people don't seem they want to be our friend. On uh, And a lot of it kind of bounces back to probably uh, Lori's episode. The attorney, Lori, lawyer, Lori, which is hard to say. I stand by the episode. I've been responding to a lot of things on social media about it. Uh, one thing that I wish that I had mentioned was when we were talking about the jury tampering allegations, uh, when we when Lori discussed the uh, Facebook post, we did point this out in a previous episode, but that was actually not why the egg jar was dismissed. Right, it was not because of that. Right, and I, I probably should have pointed that out again. Okay. Uh, let's see. Ba-ba-ba. This is a typical one from Florida Law 32. This podcast has continued to pander to the fringe element even after an unbiased jury found the fool guilty. She didn't like Sarah Zari, and of course didn't like lawyer Lori, and wants John Snyder back, we get him back. Um, I don't know what, first of all, I would I'd say we're pandering a fringe element. Zari and Lori are both attorneys. They have knowledge in this, and uh, an unbiased jury did find him guilty. And I, I, I See, and I both think he at least had something to do with. We don't think this guy's innocent or a nice guy or anything like that. Uh, I will say, though, he people are in jail that were found guilty, and it's eventually found to be not guilty. It's not a never-changing thing, and it still can be discussed about. Any verdict can be discussed about. Well, what I want to say is I'm not pandering to anybody. I mean, we have... We have said things that are pro-defense. We have said things that are pro-prosecution. 
And we're not on one side or the other. So I actually take offense to the pandering because I definitely do not do that. This person said, I've been listening since the beginning. I've never thought you were biased. You presented all sides. I just thought Lori was horrible and very biased. She wants to be a good old boy. Didn't think she would be anyone harder to listen to. Uh, and by the way, the sentencing guidelines, Corey Fleming was facing over 100 years for despicable crimes. We've heard that a lot. Yes. And we were despicable crimes. I don't think anybody... Maybe you just think they're not because we're not saying, hang them from the nearest post. I have I've responded to that on our Facebook page a couple of times. I think my main issue was consistency. You know, if if these are obviously terrible crimes, but I think everyone should receive consistent sentences. Because there were other people who did horrible crimes. Yes. And stole more money and were not sentenced the same way. That is what we're pointing out there. None of these guys are good guys, for God's sakes. No, none of these guys. Lafitte, Fleming, Murdoch did awful things. Sponsored by the defense. I saw that headline. Yep. Oh, somebody said that. Um, no, we are not. Yeah, wish. We wish. I could use the no, money. No, we do not wish we are sponsored by the no, defense. No. But, you yeah. know, uh, we, we are definitely not. Kelsey, one, two, three, six. Yes. Thou you can... doth protest too much. I saw that. Uh, interesting how many times I've heard the toast taught their unbiased coverage, although multiple times I've heard them both restate evidence incorrectly. Uh, we make mistakes, perhaps, but after mentioning we, we things- We own like, it if we make a mistake. Sure. If we make a mistake, we actually do our best to try to correct it in the next yeah. episode. And we have, there's a lot of, there's a big volume of information. And we said we have no other, we have no problem with our podcast. We've not said anything bad about any podcast. I don't know where that continues to come from. Um, it, it says, uh, when you choose, speak about evidence or testimony and discount anything that doesn't point toward reasonable doubt or conspiracy theory to frame Alex, that is biased reporting. I, I don't know what you guys are talking about, but okay. Uh, I, there's, there's plenty of things that we pointed out that pointed to his guilt. Yeah, actually I received a private message about, uh, maybe we were supporting Lori too much and maybe not other people such as Eric Bland. But I believe in our last episode, we said it was perfectly fine for Eric Bland to support his friend. The friend that was- uh, Convicted also, of yeah, murder. Yes, we did. Of course we did. Yeah. Um, but this person says, uh, case creep. Um, Alec Murdoch's been convicted, and that's just to stop bringing guests on your show insinuating he's innocent- He's guilty. Well, I, you know, we're, we can still discuss things about the case just because someone's found guilty. You don't stop talking about. It doesn't end the story. Yeah, there's making of the murderer. Yeah, right. Um, and they say this uh, this person, G. Davy, uh, Matt and Seaton are good at concealing your bias with the old trick of pretending to be self aware about it. They aren't bad people. They aren't good people. I'm closer to good. Well, <laughs> what you don't see uh, is due to their disassembly is they lean in toward Alec and his ilk. I, I don't know what that means. Yeah, that we apparently we we are big fans of all the evil players in this. We just love Alec and Corey. And I think Russell. we've made friends and not friends on both sides of we the of, of, of the, this this saga. But so. to be clear, we are no fans of Alec Murdoch and do not believe that he should be roaming the streets. And we have no agenda. No, no, we don't. All right. Well, there, but we, again, I don't want to discourage you from sending us 
Oh, I emails. like it. I actually like to be able to respond yeah. to this in a public format. You know, right. to me, it's harder when you get an Apple review because you can't respond. And yeah. some of them you want to say, Wait, what does that mean? Seton Tucker sounds Murdochy. I mean, like yeah. you want to be able to say, what do you, wait a second, what my right. name sounds Murdochy? I mean, that's weird. I know. <laughs> Seton Tucker, <laughs> Seton is a Murdochy name. I know. Um, yeah. So uh, you can, again, Facebook, great place to go. Uh, the Impact of Influence Facebook page. I, I just counted my emails today. I have like 200 of them. Matt Harris podcast at gmail.com. I hate to even say it because I'm so far behind. Uh, but yeah, the Apple ones are rough because we can't. So anyway, if you can, and if you happen to like it, we would enjoy a good rating. <laughs> Throw us a five star, uh, share the episode. And rate if the you episode. don't, and, it's, and if you don't and you want to leave us a valid complaint or criticism that we can fix, we actually invite that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. All right. We will uh, talk soon, friend. So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality. That's how a scam begins, convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house. I get a phone call from my wife, and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out. I can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts, people who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6,000 cash, give us each 3,000, we give you this. Uh -huh. You go home, and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done, and that's what Scams and Cons is all about. Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery and I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects.